It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at CBOC.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Hello, this is Dr. Jeremy Lookaball, workplace communication and negotiation coach, as well as industrial organizational psychology consultant. In addition to cboc.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at termboot.com. Also on the panel today, we have Sarah Smith-Berry of Frigo Consulting. Sarah is a psychometrician, veteran advocate, consultant, and modern stoic. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach, and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. And we're honored to have Dr. Destiny here. Welcome, everybody. This is our weekly get-together for IOs and all of the people who care about others and work in industry. Uh, HR, we've got recruiters online, and we're really glad that you've joined us today. And, And Jeremy, you've brought us a really interesting topic today. We want to talk about how to bring back the rich value of a job description. And, you know... (laughs) I've been looking at job descriptions. I've been talking to people about job descriptions. And what I'm being told is, you know, when they take the job, first of all, usually it's not really descriptive of what the job could potentially be. And then they're telling me, you know, six months or a year, they have that review and they look at the job description and they actually look at what they're doing and they're two different realities. You know, the job may have morphed and and especially now, as we're really sort of starting to embrace the remote and hybrid workforce, none of us truly know how our jobs are going to transition. So, you know, let me start out with like, first of all, why this topic? And then second of all, how the heck do we navigate this now? Yeah, there's a lot of things that I think can be done with the job description be way beyond simply the hiring process. Usually if someone's in a, if a job description is about six months old, it, it's a good idea for a company to at least consider can, you know, should we have the, the, the supervisor and the employee look at this again to see if it needs updating or changed. Yes, it takes a lot of time when you, I mean, just getting two professionals together to go over one job description to redo it can take, I mean, you know, if you're efficient, you can do it in, in two hours. But that's, that's a lot when you multiply by how many job descriptions you have in the workforce. So we're going to get into different things like that. I also want to get into how can you use the job description during regular meetings with, your, with uh, an employee with your, or you know, with your boss for review and how can you use uh, a very simple color coding system to see how you're, how, how you're on track for any kind of performance reviews and performance goals. And then how can, if you can't formally change that job description, how can you do it at least informally on paper with, with your with your boss and have an understanding of some different things there uh, to be more specific in, in terms of goals? Because let's face it, <clears throat> when it comes time for performance reviews, and I don't want to talk only about performance reviews because you know it goes way beyond that. But when it comes time for performance reviews, of course, every manager that I've known says, 
we do it the right way. You know, it should never come as a surprise, any of the feedback yet. It often comes as a surprise because it's, you know, do it, you know, not practicing what I preach kind of thing. So there's a lot of different things to get into. We've got a, a powerhouse panel here and I want to get some uh, ideas from, you know, what others are experiencing here. I see Devin, you're here. So we have some, uh, we got Linda and we got Devin, we got some great HR talent, of course, Sarah, Destiny, and I see Rebecca's here, Lee. Uh, I love to call off names. I'm just going to, you know, Jake, Wesley, Joey, Brad, Julia, Megan, Cordette, Jacqueline, Joanna's here. So we're going to have a good time. Tom, back to you. Let me turn my mic back on. And all you people, you know, if you'd like to join the conversation, just raise your hand and we'll bring you up on stage. Dr. Destiny, let me go to you first, because I'm interested to hear what your views are on the job descriptions and how they're morphing or are they of any value now? That's a really loaded question. <laughs> uh, so just a little background about kind of how I approach job descriptions because of, you know, the community that I work with. I work like mostly with transitioning service members who are coming from military to civilian uh, workforce. And so you got to think about how maybe they've kind of perceived how they're doing their job to like now they're like almost complete, well, not almost, they are overwhelmed basically with the job market and what, do, like, what are the, you know, what does this mean? And like why job descriptions have like a whole bunch of like, what's the difference between qualifications and preferred qualifications. And now companies like Deloitte, for example, have job descriptions that now say instead of qualifications have, you know, demonstrated competencies and key experiences. And it goes, they go, what does that mean? Like, how do I translate that? So um, I think that we definitely need to get better uh, overall about really honing in on what it is that you know, you're looking for or that your employers are looking for, um, because I've personally been in jobs before where they wrote a job description for me that was like 17 pages long, you know, when I was a senior management program analyst. And then I was also slash, you know, senior management consultant slash senior strategist slash data analyst. And you're just like, what's actually expected of me. So I think it's really important that these job, you know, things are these descriptions can be uh, broad, but they really do need to target exactly what they're trying to capture because otherwise it's just, you know, it's overwhelming. You don't know where to even start, especially for performance evaluations. So. Yeah, totally. And Sarah, maybe I'll go to you next because you also work with the military and those you know, service people transitioning to civilian life. And first of all, are there job descriptions in the military? <laughs> yes. I mean, in fact, Tom, I think the military does a much better job when it comes to job descriptions because there's less disconnect between oversight of, say, uh, management and what the role, the requirements of the role actually are. So I actually think most of the discrepancies that we see between um, what actually happens once you start working at a position versus what is listed in a job description happens because there is a miscommunication or a disconnect between HR and the people who are actually doing the job. Um, oftentimes those positions and requisitions have been written out by HR because they have to be written in a specific way, you know, legal reasons and everything else abound, but it's making sure that that's an iterative process. I've seen job descriptions that have been in the pipeline for 12 years and have never been updated. But in fact, the role looks nothing like 
what it was originally. So I really think at the end of the day, that's a big problem. Um, I am an advocate for kind of more modern solutions. So one of my favorite things to do to tell organizations is to start uh, creating videos of day in the life. So if any of you are YouTube connoisseurs, you have probably seen your share of day in the life videos. Um, I encourage organizations to do this for their um, most high level and targeted positions, like the ones that they have to fill the most of, especially like recruiters. Um, and they can have an inside peek at what it's like to be a recruiter at XYZ organization. And I really think that that gives the candidate some peace of mind as well, because it's hard sometimes when we're looking through these very sometimes archaic job descriptions to understand what is it? what's it going to look like when I get there? And I know when I work with veterans, that is the number one thing. It's like, what is it even like? Like, what do I wear? Like, am I going to have any friends? Like we have the normal fears that everyone has. Veterans are no different than anyone else. It's just that they understand that the environment is going to be so different. And so any sort of insight that you can give to them on what that's going to look like is beneficial. Yeah. I love that video idea. Lee, I see your hand up. Let's go to you. Hi, yeah. Um, I'm actually one of those transitioning veterans who's worked with Dr. Destiny. But um, so, yeah, I just retired from the military just, well, it was actually official last week. But so, um, yeah, we, as far as our specialties go, they're very, very well defined in the military. Now, as far as the jobs go, it depends on where you are. And, and as far as uh, once I got into a more senior management role, I've very often worked in something other than what my specialty was supposed to be on paper. So that makes it very challenging when you go to apply for a job and they're, they're listing out stuff. And you're like, well, you know, I did this and I did that, you know, and they say to narrow it down. Well, sometimes your experience is so broad that it's hard to translate that directly to a job description. And I then- would love to respond to that really quickly, Lee, if I can. Sure. Um, one of the things that I do when I'm consulting with veterans, because most veterans that have been in, say, 10, 20 years, they do have that breadth of experience. What I let them know is that you need to target a certain type of role, and then you need to think back to where you were at, where you conducted that specific skill set. Does that make sense? So rather than divulging all of the things that you know how to do, because you're amazing and you're a generalist and a specialist, make it more about being that specialist when you're applying to jobs and then show them the generalist when you get there. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Yeah. It, and uh, I, I'm thankfully far enough down that I've, I've kind of started, you know, getting more that makes more sense. Uh, but I tell you what, for for a service member looking at a lot of civilian job descriptions, I mean, it might as well be a haiku. You know, when you start looking at some of these things, and you're and you look at these, and you go, does, does anyone have that? And then you <laughs> see a bunch of people on you know LinkedIn or whatever, and you think and you figure out that maybe there isn't anybody who has that. They're just someone. Uh, like you said earlier about the disconnect between the HR person writing it and the actual job. And I've had several jobs, both in and out of the military, where the job description was one thing. That was definitely not my job. And uh, including the one I'm working right now, as a matter of fact. So, uh, yeah, I definitely feel that we could do a better job with that. You visualize the HR team is creating a job requisition. Just hang with me for a second for a bear. And the hiring manager is creating a job requisition for a horse. And then you put a bear's head on a horse's body. It's going to be kind of hard to find that candidate, isn't it? 
You know what I mean? And that's why the, the unicorn candidate is a real thing. So anything we can do to kind of get that conversation on the same page is moving in the right direction. <laughs> and, and first of all, thank you, Lee, very much for your service and keeping us all safe. Uh, and yeah, I know what you mean. I've been looking at those job descriptions and where are they going to find that person? Uh, Devin, <laughs> let's go over to you. Thank you. So I wanted to write on that note, uh, what I've done at my organization is I require the hiring manager to write the job description and weigh in. So I start with the template and yes, check all the boxes from any of the legal requirements, policy standpoint, but then the day-to-day -day responsibilities and what they're really looking for, the hiring manager's best to provide that information. And then you really remove some of that disconnect. Because yeah, I don't know what all the employees do day in and day out. I've got an idea, but um, there's no way that I can accurately pull all of that together for every single position in the company. And then we also make sure that that job description is reflected when it goes to like the talent acquisition team, accurately reflected in, reflected in the job posting, because those aren't always the same. And if you see a job description and you're like, oh, great, I can do this job. And then you get hired and then you get the job description and they don't connect, you're stuck. And then you're expected to do a role that you didn't think you were hired for. And then you kind of internalize that and feel like it's your fault when it's definitely not. So all of that needs to be in lockstep between HR helping the hiring team write the description, getting it posted on the job, and then it becomes full cycle because then you're hired for a job that you know all of the expectations. There's no surprises like we talked about in the beginning for um, what it takes to be successful in your. And then as that job description changes, great. They should be fluid. They should be moving along as the position evolves. Um, and and dated. And I love that idea of the, the day in the life. And I'm going to steal that for job description. So thanks, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, I'm stealing that too. And wouldn't it be great if things actually worked together? <laughs> you know, if you could create that flow. Linda Ann, let's go to you. Here we go. Yeah, I um, I like the, the day in the life um, idea. And one of the things that I think it's it's just irresponsible on the as a as a human resource professional for there to be you know twelve year old job descriptions that haven't been updated and things like that. That's just um, you know negligence as far as I'm concerned. And people are lazy though. People are lazy, and we have to remember that. That's the truth. <laughs> um, yeah, I will. But it's still, you know, if you expect to be considered a professional, then you need to be paying attention to stuff like that. And from, you know, from my perspective on that role, um, I also think that, you know, one of the things that um, is is really important and, and what um, Devin was mentioning is that that coordination between um, the hiring managers and human resources when they're doing the posting to make sure that it consistently, you know, feeds into the job description. And when I was working with hiring managers, you know, I often, that's where I figured out that they wanted the unicorn, you know, it was before um, it was the head on the bear, you know? So, um, and I, there were certain hiring managers that were just, they always wanted the unicorn. And I'm like, that doesn't exist. And to, to Lee's comment, you know, I used to call them Jesus jobs. You know, nobody can do all of those things. That doesn't exist. Jesus can't even do them, right? Um, so, uh, but I think that it's, it's really um, 
what I would do with, with individuals, whether they were working with me or others, as they were being onboarded and trained, I had them keep their job description next to them, right? And so as they were being trained, is that on your job description? Put that down. And we would, it was a constant process of updating as they were being trained so that there was some kind of constant, you know, input into what was going on and what needs to be reevaluated. And it's really important to do that because as they, as they flow, you know, sometimes it means more money for the individual. You know, if they're taking on different levels, you evaluate managerial skills or management of projects different than just tasks. So it's, and then, and then again, it, it it's a criteria that that really falls on HR and the the expectation from everyone should be that they're doing that. Yeah, agree 100%. Uh, Rebecca, I see your hand up. We're going to come to you next. Uh, but Cordette has put something in the chat that I just want to uh, bring everyone's attention to. Input from employees performing the job would be really useful for the job description because many times, you know, some of those jobs are once a year and some are a lot more frequent. So I think that's a great comment. Thank you very much, Cordette. Rebecca, let's go to you. Thank you. So, um, you know, something that, you know, I want to bring up because, you know, we're talking about the importance of um, involving hiring managers, employees, and, um, you know, like this idea that the, the job description needs to be adaptive and like this iterative process. Um, and, you know, the best way to do that is something called a job analysis, um, you know, which is a systematic way of evaluating both the day-to-day duties of the job and also um, maybe critical duties of the job, but like not necessarily things that are performed um, day-to-day, but are still really important. And then additionally, the knowledge, skills, and abilities required to perform the job. And, you know, to do this um, entails multiple data collection methods, you know, so um, reviewing archival records. So that would include things like previous job descriptions, um, you know, maybe um, training or policy handbooks, um, and then something called the Occupational Information Network, also known as ONET, which is a database that, you know, um, by the government that um, it's really great because it has information on all sorts of different jobs and the education required and duties required and all that. that. Um, and then, you know, you do want to um, do observations, interviews, and um, collect um, survey information um, from from multiple stakeholders, you know, so that would be hiring managers, current employees, um, if possible, maybe even customers or clients that that job interacts with. Um, And I think it's really important to, um, you know, um, you know, to collect information from multiple stakeholders, not just the hiring manager, because the hiring manager, you know, like, only knows like their their day-to-day experience and you know they might be basing um what they think the job entails based on um you know based on like an employee that they you know that that they really like that was really successful in that role but it's also possible that um 
other employees that maybe have um, different cases um, or, or even like neurodivergent employees that the hiring manager doesn't have experience with. So, you know, people with different cognitive brains who, you know, approach things differently, like they would also be successful in, in the job. Um, you know, but we wouldn't know that if we only, you know, rely on the hiring manager to write the job description, um, you know, because they're just one person. So that's why I think it's really important to, um, you know, talk to as many employees as possible and, um, you know, multiple stakeholders, just so we can get like a more holistic um, uh, perspective in terms of, you know, what are the minimum qualifications for that job? And can we be more broad and more inclusive in terms of what we think is the type of person that can perform that job? Some really great points, Rebecca. And Jeremy, let me bring you back in now, because first of all, it, it from what I'm hearing, there's a real lack of communication that we're not really talking much to each other. But even when we start to talk, aren't we really looking at basically taking the way we do job descriptions now and kind of throwing it out and looking at a brand new way of of doing job descriptions, maybe making them more inclusive? What's going on there and how do we move that forward? Regardless, I mean, even if the job description doesn't change, a job description can be, you know, uh, it's a treadmill. It's an exercise bike. It's a piece of at work. Uh, or at home exercise equipment. What happens if you get a treadmill or exercise bike? Think about the time alone. You're getting pumped up, distress re relief, all the, the benefits that come with um, exercise, releasing of endorphins, lower blood pressure, goals, feeling on top of the world. You get that, and then it becomes the place where you hang your laundry, and you don't use it, and nothing happens. You know it's there. It's always in the back of your head, but you never use it. So if you have a job description and you never use it, except to find maybe kind of the right candidate, how many people, just by a raise of hands, how many people have ever applied for a job and gone through the interview process and the person went line item by line item through the job description, asking you about how well you you would perform these duties or how well you have in the past? Has, any, has that ever happened to anyone? Has it, so you know, oh, good. Tom, Jake's saying yes. For my, you know, I've I've never really known that to happen. <laughs> so it might not happen as much, you know, line item by line item, really focusing on that particular job description, going through that job description during the interview process. So what would ha what happens? And here's the question, what happens after the facts and fact, and how can we bring that back even more rich value from the job description? I think it, it can and should be used in one-on-one -on -one meetings and a you know formal slash informal meeting uh between supervisor and employee and it's very simple and i've i've i've, I've done i've done this with I, i've coached people on doing this massive results it's very easy to do you just take three different highlighters and you go down you print out a new version of the job description each time and you just highlight you know just think like you know red yellow green like a stoplight red means holy gee whiz, we really need to work on this one. Yellow means going pretty well, could use a little uh, work in this area. Green means, man, you're doing really good. And just that simple awareness can help 
with communication. It opens up so many questions that can help a manager who is floundering in their ability to be a leader. It gives them an opportunity. It gives them a foot in the door and it gives them the excuse to have a non, uh, let's just put it this way. It's a pretty comfortable conversation. It can be between two people and it provides an opportunity for really good questions. And what else, what else are we asking for really at this point as a starting point for some managers who might lack leadership skills? Great. And Cynthia, I see you've got your hand up. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's hear from you. Helps if I unmute. Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you all. Um, and Jeremy, uh, I think those are really good ideas for interviewing practices and for leading managers from HR recruiting. I did, I'm going to throw a different uh, perspective in, and that is using social media for recruiting because you it can really help supplement your standard job description. And, you know, the first thing is to make sure that your corporation evaluate how they are represented in social media to begin with, because some companies don't even have a LinkedIn company page, depending on the, on the business, but you need to, you can really reflect the culture, which makes your company more attractive by using social media. And if you're looking for uh, younger, less experienced, you would use also use Instagram by showing fun things that you're doing or events or, um, and use your employees with employee incentives. You can use social media to get them if you share this job or if you, you know, and, and make sure that you're very, you know, that you are speaking to your target audience when you're looking for somebody more experienced, maybe it's not the right way. Video is very, can be very compelling. So uh, I think that's an, uh, a piece of, we are all so mobile and at home and remote and hybrid and all of those things. You can get some of that a, across in a more compelling way or people who are passive and they're not really, looking for a job or don't know they're looking for a job and they see it and they go, you know what? I didn't think about that. I could do that. So uh, that is something I think you should possibly add into your rich job description toolkit. You know, Cynthia, I, I used to work for a post-secondary institution who had no problem, you know, a, a faculty position comes up, they're going to put it on idea, they're going to put it on monster. And I went to them going, you know, there's actually two databases for jobs for post-secondary instructors they never used it <laughs> wow yeah That's it was there's a lot of re just and, and it's free by the way social media is free although linkedin ads can work but you're right there's a lot of really good career sites that are just thirsty for your your description but i do think that using a participatory conversation will attract a, a, especially when you're looking for that 35 to 40 year old millennial who is used to sharing knowledge and being informed in that way. Everybody's on a mobile device. So you need to make sure that it will fit on your cell phone, that it fits every, you know, that it fits where you're putting it because context is very important. Absolutely. Uh, Devin, let's go to you next. And then Linda, Ann, we're on to you. Thank you. Um, wanted to tag on because Cynthia, I think you bring up, it's not something I thought of. The job description now, because what you're talking about is the culture, right? And how are we displaying the culture and what it's like to work here? And, oh, I see image people doing this or they're posting. This is a great account that they got to work on. And then we're talking about the, the, the details of the expectations of the role and how are you successful here? And it's sounding like we're you know, morphing into a world where it's like, in order for somebody to want to work at a place, you need to know both the culture and then the expectations of, of the job and how are companies able to display both and make that all part of the job description. Um, and I just hadn't thought of it that way. So thanks for bringing it. I mean, I, I've always, 
understood, oh, it's really important to post this stuff on social media to rouse up interest in the company or, um, and it's also really important to have a job description and help understand how to be successful. But it's like, we've, we're now in this world where that's all one, kind of like our work life is all one. <laughs> so um, uh, it's very true. This is becoming a great mastermind group <laughs> with a sharing of knowledge and information. Linda Ann, let's go to you. And then Jake, we're coming to you. Yeah, to follow up on Devin's point, and one of the things that I've worked on with with um, employers before is to really, you know, there's an employer brand or company brand for, you know, whatever their product is and whatever they're selling and so forth. But there's an employer brand, and we worked on developing that employer brand specifically for the recruitment because they need to have some kind of what do you stand for recognition, all those kinds of things, and it's, it's a critical piece of marketing in in, in a company anymore. Um, one of the other things that I wanted to uh, to comment on is, you know, how job descriptions are, they tend to be very task oriented and very historical, right? And so when we're talking about the way that um, recruitment is done and the way that employees look at their jobs, there needs to be an evolution to some kind of section on there for professional development. Like where this is what you're expected to do and whatever in that piece, but where's the piece that's going for you develop for that next level so that people can inherently have, you know, because that's one of the things that's really why people are leaving is they don't see their future with the company. So if we incorporate that to some degree with how are these are the things I have to do now and these are the things that are expected of me to grow into the next level. I think that's a really important thing to start. I know nobody's doing that. Not many people are doing that, but I think that's a critical part to, to move forward. Um, and regarding, I think it was Rebecca who said, was talking about the job analysis. I've used, I've worked in companies before where there was a specific arm that, that when you wanted to just, determine does this go to the next pay grade or whatever this, that kind of thing we did had somebody call in they sat in the corner for a day or two or three and did the job analysis for uh, that that's wonderful there's very few organizations that have access to that kind of resource and so I don't know if there's outside companies that come in and do that for you but um it's that's a really it's I think it's very important it's just many companies don't have that kind of resource and I don't know how to bridge that gap. So, um, yeah, yeah. it'd be really important, especially now as we're seeing so much transition Mm -hmm. in in the job place. Uh, Jake, let's go to you next. And then Cynthia, we'll come back to you. Sure. I have two points, I think. And the first is I think jobs descriptions would benefit from having some personality. And what I mean by that is kind of stating goals and reasons behind the actions in the job description. Don't just say you'll be, I don't know, stocking the store, explain why it's important for that person to stock the store. And the second thing is I think employee attraction gets in the way of detailed and honest job descriptions. I think we, almost everyone that writes job descriptions leaves out the negative aspects of the role because then people won't apply to it. Um, How are you going to write like you're going to spend two hours a day having your phone calls ignored because nobody wants to talk to you? Oops. Um, or at least if you do, I haven't thought of a way. So if somebody has an answer to that, I would definitely appreciate it. But I worked at a company, they hired about 20,000 part-time employees is what they had that all had the same role. Um, you know, it was a small retail chain, So about two in a store for 10,000 stores. And 
those people had to take out the garbage, sweep, things like that. None of that was on, on the job description because you would get fewer applicants. Um, and I think that's a large issue. So if anyone has an answer to make that, those tasks sound enticing, I would appreciate the advice. The only thing yeah. that comes to mind, because I always have a bright idea, is comedy in those day in the life videos. So incorporating like comedic relief into the day in the life video could be a way to kind of show that that's an aspect of the job, but that it really doesn't impact the day-to-day feelings of the existing employees. So just showing that like, Hey, we also take out the garbage, but we're doing that. And we also recycle or something quirky or funny. I don't know. I'm not a very quirky, funny person, but that's what I would do. I would tell them hire a comedian and write up some, some good lines um, for the more negative aspects of the role, because comedy is how we deal with anything negative in a healthy way. Really at the end of the day, if you look at why we even watch comedy, it's because we're dealing or processing difficult things. So maybe we can incorporate that into a job role. I don't see why we have to be so like almost stuck up or like put up about job descriptions, especially if it's the one where you're taking out the garbage or they're, they're, that's part of the role. So make it fun, make it sound fun to work there. Um, I think that's, that's really what people are wanting. They want to know that they're going to go somewhere where they're not going to just go and sit and rot at a desk. Um, so yeah, anything you can do to make it appealing, I think that's probably what I would say. And if you're looking for an actor for those videos, I am available. Uh, <laughs> Jeremy, we're about uh, 35 minutes past the top of the hour. Uh, this might be a little a good time to do a little quick reset of the room and then talk about some of the developments at Seabock. And then Devin, we're going to come to you. Uh, so thank you for joining us, everybody. Uh, this is our weekly get-together for IOs, HR, and recruiters. It's a pleasure to have you here. We hope you're enjoying the conversation today. Uh, but Jeremy, let's talk a little bit about CBOC. Yeah, so if the CBOC memberships, there's still a waiting list. There's two different types of membership. There's one for IO experts and consultants who are established in the in IO. And we also have a Pathfinder. We have an all-star panel here. We have an all-star uh panel of people helping out those who are looking where, what do I do with my IO career? I'm in school now. How do I navigate uh, even as far back as which program do I choose, but how do I navigate finding my niche? How do I navigate, um, you know, getting a job in IO, setting my career, finding my voice, uh, talking with others. So everything related to how do I get into the IO career and how do I become who I want to be? That is called our IO career pathfinder membership, which we're very, very, very excited about. So if anyone's interested, you can go to cbock.com and just click on IO's start here and sign up for the waiting list. Tom, back over to you. And of course, you'll get notifications of our next event. You're listening to Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Turnboot. The name is not elegant. Neither are the issues that organizations face. Led by a PhD in industrial organizational psychology, you can rest assured that the highest standards and latest in workplace and human behavior science will be used to get your organization results with a tailored plan specific to your workplace needs. Truly helping others, integrity, positive impact, and getting results. That's what we stand for. That's Turnboot Organizational Excellence. Welcome back. You're listening to Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. 
Devin, let's go to you. Oh, Tom, I was just clapping when you said you were available for hire. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't raising my hand. <laughs> well, how come you were the only person who was clapping? I... <laughs> so, Rebecca, let's go to you. Um, yeah, you know, just just going back to, um, oh, I, um, I think it was Jake Vassello's um, point of, um, you know, like, um, of finding a way to, you know, make descriptions like, you know, taking out like the, the trash more, more fun. Um, I like, I, I, I would say, you know, like that the key to um, just, you know, like getting people to like apply to those roles. Like, I don't really think it's about making it fun. Like, I think it's just about being straightforward and honest with people and also, um, you know, like having higher, like, having higher compensation, you know, like if there are a lot of tasks that are unpleasant, you know, cause like for, for example, um, you know, sanitation workers, like that is like, that is an unpleasant job and, you know, people going into it, no, um, you know, but like, I mean, but, but, you know, like there, there's also some compensation that is tied to the unpleasantness. Um, just because I think that, um, like if we, um, it, you know, like if we focus on, oh, like how can we make it like fun and creative, you know, like then that could maybe, um, turn into, you know, like just being, um, people being misled. You know, and I, and I think like the number one thing is, you know, like when people are like looking for jobs, and like reviewing job descriptions, you know, like um, they're not looking to like have a good time, you know, like there's there's Netflix for, you know, like wanting to be entertained, you know, they're they're looking for um, an honest um, description and idea of, you know, what are the day to day tasks and does my background fit this? You know, I think that's really interesting because when I'm talking to people, they're telling me that the job description has very little to do with the job. So how do I get an idea of what the job's going to be when those descriptions aren't accurate? Linda Ann, let's go to you. Yeah, so just to comment on, you know, all all jobs have some things that are kind of untenable about them, but they're, but, you know, that's just, the that's life, right? But what's really important, I think, and one of the reasons, uh, one of the key pieces when we're talking about millennials and Gen Zs is they want to understand how what they do contributes to something of value, right? They want purpose. And so if they have to take out the trash, but they are connected to this is important. All of these pieces are important because ultimately what I do makes a difference somehow that makes a, a huge difference in how they perceive their job. Yeah, I think that's a great insight. Cynthia, over to you. You know, as a matter of fact, Linda, and you kind of touched on, and, and I, I, I think humor can be really a good entertaining way, and it depends on the kind of job that you're going to do. But corporate social responsibility, if there is a a value that you're saving, you know, environmental issues are a very big deal uh, to the world anyway. Um, if there's some way you can tie it to something that the company is doing, that for every bottle that you collect, you get, you know, the company will donate or give some sort of incentive that you're contributing to society and that the company is being corporately responsible. You know, look at all the boxes that Amazon 
since I know Lord knows I've recycled plenty, but if they said we're, you will be contributing to us helping cut down that footprint with our, by you being an Uber driver, I don't know, whatever it is, I'm just making it up, but I think that's a really good point. So, and, and authenticity and not lying and not totally fluffing out the job is pretty smart too. You don't want to be too misleading. Sarah, over to you. I'm going to push back a little bit and say, I don't know a single person that would not jump at having fun at work or enjoying work. Um, But I will say that, you know, there's different strokes for different folks. So what I would say is job descriptions are an opportunity. Any sort of job posting is an opportunity. It's an advertisement. And so we need to be thinking about people who maybe are more analytical. Maybe they do want the bulleted list of what is going to be expected of me. But we should also account for people, perhaps like myself, who want to show up and have some fun at work. So we need to be appealing to both sides. We need to make sure that we're appealing to say, if say it's a more analytical position, and this is actually my field of expertise. If we're talking about a very analytical position, a very data-driven position, guess what? There are people that have personalities that really enjoy that type of work. But then there's other people who maybe are more philanthropic and maybe they're more people-centered and more people-oriented and they want to have as much contact with others as possible and have an impact. And they have a whole different type of requirement. So the advertising for those two groups are different. You can't use a standardized set of job descriptions for every single candidate out there. It won't work. And that is the bane of the recruiter. Because sadly, they're the ones that are having to do all of the interface. They have to be the face of the company. They have to understand the role. They have to understand the job description. And they have to operate within very strict guidelines of what they're allowed to ask, what they're allowed to say, what they're allowed to do. Well, guess what? That doesn't bring much color to the conversation, yet candidates are saying they want more color. They want more vibrancy. They want to see the job before they get there. So I would say the best way to do that is know who your audience is, just like any sort of advertising, know who your audience is and cater your advertisement or job description or LinkedIn posting or whatever it is to that audience. And if you need help with that, I am your gal. (laughs) (laughs) Your go-to gal. Linda, and let's go over to you. Yeah, I just... um... One of the things that I wanted to, to bring up is, especially when you're talking about, you know, social responsibility and so forth. I don't know how many people here are familiar with cons- what is, um, is out there now. It's considered a certified B Corp. And companies that are certified that way are, they focus on really what their contribution is to society and to their employees. And so there are a lot of the, Millennials, millennials, and and Gen Zs that are they target specifically, you know, B Corps because they know that they're being socially responsible and have a clear idea of what their focus is, and they value their employees. And so that's just something to put out there. I know that not some people are aware of it, and some people aren't, but it's really something to look into. And um, even if a company doesn't do the full certification, just looking at the criteria and thinking about what they can do better to help make it um, important for the employees that they're um, 
that they're trying to recruit, you know, and, and hit those notes. Um, the other thing too, is on, on, on what Sarah was saying, you know, for me, what you were commenting on is, is one of the key reasons not to use a job description as your um, job posting, right? Really look at those skills and have people of all walks with those skills come in and, and then, or zoom or whatever. And then, you have that interaction to determine what's a good fit for them and for you. But, but, you know, just putting those job descriptions out there is not in my soapbox opinion, the way to gather uh, recruits. (laughs) Especially now when there are more jobs than employees out there. Uh, Jeremy, let me come back to you because, you know, if I'm running an organization, kind of what I've heard today really makes me sort of (laughs) want to get a room put an IO in there, put my HR person in there, get my recruiter in there and have them go through these job descriptions and come up with a much more creative way of of doing it and something that's more appealing to those potential candidates. And then I'm going to bring Cynthia in to help me promote that outside of those normal hiring applications that we see. Am I going to be a smart CEO if I start doing things like that? There's some really good organization. When you look at organizational climate and, and work environment, which leads, of course, to satisfaction and commitment, role clarity jo- and job clarity are very, very important. Um, there's one particular assessment. It's called the AMP that, that looks at these, among other things. But you're looking at, and this goes back to what Cynthia and um, Linda Ann was saying as well, you're talking about employer brand. So if you're doing these kinds of things and spending the time Let's say it takes two hours per job description to do that. You don't have to do it all in one week. You're never going to do it anyway in one week. What's the return on your time investment for doing that? What's the return on that investment for clarity for your applicants? Let's say you come up with a creative way uh, based on your company, based on the role. Will that attract uh, more candidates? And with what we're hearing now, candidates jumping ship. I know, Devin, you mentioned you don't consider a candidate to be fully hired on until they've been there for two weeks. You mentioned that in one of our past events because there are so many open jobs without candidates to fill and there's so many all the skipping around. So what can help that candidate choose better? And then we go back to what Sarah says, a day, what's a day in the life like? So the more uncertainty that can be, uh, let me not do a double negative, the more certainty that can be provided, the better, because one of the things that kills these relationships early on is uncertainty. What's it going to look like? And something else might come along. It's more appetizing. So you're doing twofold. What's it going to save you? What's your return on time investment for new candidates? And then what does your employer brand look like going forward? Because you're providing greater role clarity for those candidates because you have a good job description and you're actually using it. It's not just a treadmill drying laundry. You're actually using that on a day-to-day basis. So Tom, if you were to do that, I'd say you're a very wise CEO. I thank you. Uh, Cynthia, let's go to you. Oh, there we go. Uh, 
I just wanted to add, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Time investment, and it depends on the importance of the role and how many roles you have. Uh, I was recently in an interview and it took three hours and nine people that were in the interview, it was more targeted for them, but it was a company requirement. It was kind of a waste for me and it made me not want to join the company. As it turned out, it's a board of director, it's a nonprofit. And when I actually went and had the physical interview, I really liked the company, but it turned me off because I'm like, why am I sitting here having to sit through this when this has nothing to do with what my job description is? But um, I also wanted to bring up that, you know, Sarah had brought up, uh, you know, content is king and context is queen, and they must be married together. I say that all the time, but engineers tend to be very precise. And if you're doing something that's going to be important, like science or academics are very proud of their work or doctors, you don't want to make fun of the field. You want the field to be respected. So the so using humor wouldn't necessarily, even if it's sweeping up, if it's sweeping up, that's a good place to use corporate social responsibility about biohealth and things like that. But if you're going to get a social media manager who's going to come in, you're going to, they're storytellers. So you want to be telling stories. You want to approach them. You want to meet just like you would with an ad. You want to meet where your audience is at. And if that's the way that they're going to have to, you want them to communicate, be that mirror. So they say, oh, I want to be of the company who's going to let me be who I can be, be my best self. So there you go. Well, also, and you, I see in the comments there, you put in the Dollar Shave Club and their commercials. Great way to use humor. And boy, if, if I start to see job postings that come with a video and they're having fun, I'm going to be, <laughs> I'm going to be signing up. Uh, I think that's especially true for startups. And there's a lot of them, people who are trying to break out of the, you know, if you're, if you've ever seen Mad Men, you know, you used to go and you look at the corporate, I mean, you go and you drink it out, right? That's how you'd network. Well, now that people go and look at the C-suite, they look at the executives, you know, and, and Chrysler says, I, I'm, who's the Sterling Cooper? Who's the smaller company? I want to go see what they're like. Who's Don Draper? And Don Draper's got a Dollar Shave commercial. He wouldn't, but, you know, something that's different you're going to stand out and newer companies need to find ways to tell stories that are not traditional to attract some of the talent that goes, you know, maybe I don't want to work for Chrysler. Maybe I want to be in my own world and my own voice. So you really have to make sure your whatever your job description is, that it's tailored to the tone of what you want. I can tell from a job description if they want somebody who's really like if it's very academic and very straight and they want this and that, I'm like, well, is that really who I am? Do I want to be that analytical? But where if there's one that talks about their culture, I get a little bit more excited. So, yeah, I think that's, I think you're absolutely onto that. And, and Jeremy, let me come back to you because, you know, Cynthia mentioned the startup and it, we have a tendency when we're talking about this to think of the fortune 500 companies and how, you know, they're doing a lot of recruiting, especially now they could really benefit from this, this knowledge and information, but those startups, which are smaller, or even, you know, the mom and pop operations that maybe have 10 employees, is this something that they want to grasp onto too, or is this something just for the big companies? What you say this, what exactly do you mean by this? Well, when I'm looking for employees, I want to recruit, you know, maybe I do have a, a small hardware store locally and I've got 10 employees, but you know, Steve, Steve's going to be retiring in a couple of months. It's time for me to start thinking about replacing him. Do I just want to put an ad in the paper and, you know, I'll get some good candidates. Maybe I'll find somebody. Or do I really want to put the effort in and see if I can attract not only just somebody, 
but find somebody who's going to be amazing in that position? Hmm. That's an excellent question. And um, I, I, it'll come, it'll come down to, again, it'll come down to type of industry. It'll come down to job, how much, you know, there's, for the job that you that you mentioned there, you know, if you're talking about manager up and you're looking for some kind of longevity and you're looking for someone that come, can come in, you you might want to put a little more in. Companies are there's a lot of companies right now that are fully satisfied and aren't even in the in the mood, quite frankly, to budge from their standard process because they've accepted a certain amount of, of turnover and they've accepted and they are actually OK with it. Which is which is okay. That's their that's their business strategy. And because of the industry, there might not there might be some things that they're not quite able to get around. Having a more intense process in some regards can actually push potential candidates away, especially if it's for some of those more entry level jobs. Because the more hoops to jump through, some companies are looking for look the simplest way possible is the best way possible. It depends on the company, the industry, and what they're looking at. I mean, there there's some companies in uh, areas that are just on the outskirts of some cities that are actually bussing in candidates because where they're, 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 they're low on candidates, right? So they're, they're starting to provide transportation. They're offering to pay transportation even for when they come to work. So there's, you know, you've got to determine what do you have in terms of, of, of labor power and labor hours and where are you going to put that? On the other hand, so you're mentioning startups. Startups are interesting. And that comes down to really, that's going to come down to candidate preferences. There's some candidates who love and will not go anywhere else except for these Fortune 500, getting out to the thousand, even 5,000 companies. But there's also the startups, it, it's, you know, there's uh, startups are interesting because they don't have to follow the, 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 the rules that have been established forever and ever because they're making their own rules as they go along. The experience can be created between uh, you know, the people that are in, in that startup. So you're actually considering a, a greater culture add when you have a candidate. Normally, when you add a candidate to any company, the culture changes. But if you have a company of, of a very strong established culture, a little bit hard to budge, especially when you're talking about 1,000, 2,000, 3, you know, 10,000 employees, it's a little harder. But in the startups are interesting because each person has a greater degree of a culture add, meaning they're going to change that culture. And that is when it's really important because you're not just talking about someone coming in and doing a job really well. You're coming in and you're they're going to impact that culture, that everyday lived experience for the other people in that particular startup. You know, one place that I have seen growth is in civic organizations. So towns and cities, provinces or states, they seem to have gone through a phase where during the pandemic, if a position came open, they weren't really interested in filling it, you know, until things started to clear up. And now we're starting to see those organizations looking for employees. How should those civic organizations uh, be doing their recruiting? Sometimes it's a little different than the corporate world. Sometimes you may have more regulations in place. So what can they gain by listening to this discussion today. Linda, Ann, it looks like you have uh, a thought on that one. <laughs> and if you don't, we're going to make you have one. <laughs> I do. I just, <laughs> I, I had a friend and about six, eight months ago, she was looking for a job and she applied to, um, you know, a municipality 
And, you know, not only did she get, you know, you go through the, the bot to get in there and then they had, she had to fill out a form and then she had to, um, I don't know, interview, like, right, read the answers or answer these questions in a video, she, but no personal interaction whatsoever. And I'm thinking, how is that advantageous? Somebody has to actually sit and listen to the question, the answers. Why wouldn't you just interact with somebody? You know, it was just so far removed in process that it's, you know, that I know she said, yeah, no, thanks. Um, and it's just, they're isolating themselves out of good candidates by making it so, you know, non-human. Yeah. Cynthia, let's go to you. I have to tell you, I actually, uh, I actually just did. I've been interviewing, obviously, even though I'm doing this, I've been looking at some opportunities that were hybrid that weren't necessarily full-time, but were hybrid or whatever, just looking for clients and testing out the system. And it was for a hospital and I did a video interview and it was so bizarre. Now they give you a chance to, most of it is not timed and they give you a chance to record and re-record. But I thought this HR person has to watch all these videos. I mean, wow. And then how do you really know? Because I don't know specifically in context of what the questions, why they're asking me those questions or what they are looking for. And Sometimes people do do better on an audition than they do in person. So, uh, I you know when you get to record it, you're a little bit more controlled. So I, I think that that's um, very bizarre. But God, there was something else coming to me. Wait a minute. Um, I'm sorry. It, I got excited about the video thing. So forget it. I'll come back to you if I think of it because I know you're trying to close. Yeah, vi- video gets me excited too. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I'd hate to be that HR person watching those videos. Because with my background, I just be thinking about, okay, you got to become a better actor if you're going to do videos for an interview. <laughs> uh, Jeremy, I see we're almost done. We're almost to the top of the hour. Maybe some final thoughts. And then what are we going to look at next week? Final thoughts are I'm more impressed every single time with the the talent, the thought processes, um, just every everything in the background that comes out during these sessions. Uh, man, I, I, I learn a lot. I know, I know everyone else does. Next week. Next Thursday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, our topic is how bosses can lead a team that doesn't want to be led by them. So we always try to (laughs) come up with some good topics. So how bosses can lead a team that doesn't want to be led by them is our topic next week. And again, encourage people, if you're interested in CBOC membership, check it out, CBOC.com. So please join us next week as we'll continue our discussions. And Jeremy and I will be part of Virtual Communication Mastery's live event uh, next Thursday as well, uh, about about an hour, hour and a half before we connect here and all join together. And we're going to be talking to Liam Martin, who is uh, co-founder of the running, Running Remote Conference, which will be happening in May. So we'll continue this discussion on the remote world. Yeah, and VC, Tom, let me let everyone know. So what you just mentioned, vcmastery.com, and then go to the events, free tickets to that event for next Thursday as well. Be well worth your time. And with that, that is a wrap for this week. Jeremy, let's count it out and end this show. See you next time. Five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. 
Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com.